So um, two and a half weeks ago, Lisa and I tested positive for COVID. I try to be a positive person, but this one time I wish I'd been negative. It's our first experience with this uh, irritating scourge, hopefully the last. So the remaining remnant of it is the, um, the voice you hear this morning in this irritating tickle that may cause us to burst out coughing uncontrollably. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, the day that you've made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. God, we thank you for the scripture that uh, shows us the way to live a life that is pleasing to you. We thank you, Jesus, for coming, revealing yourself to each of us in this place. We ask you to come by your spirit this morning and speak through these words to bring us life. In your name, amen. So far as a part of Bible Study Fellowship this year, um, we've worked our way through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Jonah, Obadiah, Joel, Amos, and Hosea. And I've thoroughly enjoyed meditating and studying these books that honestly I haven't spent a lot of time in in the past. Um, but after so much focus on the Old Testament, I need a little Jesus this morning. So we're going back to the New Testament, uh, to the Gospels, to trace the feet of our Lord as He encountered the needs of a man who was possessed by many demons. You'll remember a couple of messages ago and late last year that I shared where Jesus and His disciples went across the Sea of Galilee and then they came back again. And during that day, a little over a day, He fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish near Bethsaida on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And afterwards, He sent the disciples back across the sea while He went up to the mountain to pray. In the fourth hour of the night, after they've struggled with the uh, contrary sea for several hours trying to complete that six-mile voyage, Jesus came to them walking on the water. And you'll remember that they were terrified, thinking that He was a ghost. But He called out to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Ego eimi. I am is here. And the sea became calm and they were suddenly at their destination. This morning I want to look at another passage that occurs after crossing the Sea of Galilee, also known as Lake Tiberias or Kinneret, which is a Hebrew word for violin, which probably has to do with the shape of the lake. It's a freshwater lake in Israel, and it's the lowest freshwater lake on earth. It's the second lowest lake in the world. The lake is about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide at its widest point. And this trip takes place well into the second year of Jesus' ministry during His second preaching tour of Galilee. Most of Jesus' three, minute, three years of ministry took place in the region of Galilee. He was raised in Nazareth, and then He headquartered His ministry in Capernaum. During his three-year ministry, the Scripture tells us that he traveled back to Nazareth two times. I don't know if you have been following the uh, video series, The Chosen, but they did an excellent job, I think, of portraying that time that Jesus went back and he spoke in the synagogue and declared from Isaiah uh, 
that the, and that the, and he proclaimed that in their sight that day in their hearing that that scripture had been fulfilled and they sought to take him out on the cliff to throw him over and I love the way they portrayed that Jesus looked at him he said this is not happening today and he walked right past them He returned to Nazareth once more in his third year of ministry at the beginning of his third preaching tour of Galilee. And he was rejected again, as we see in Mark 6, 1 through 6. And the scripture says that Jesus wondered at their unbelief. He was amazed how unbelieving they were. Jesus of Nazareth, rejected by his own, as he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. He traveled north to Syria and Phoenicia, to Tyre and Sidon, Caesarea Philippi in year three. He traveled to Judea and Jerusalem to the south once in his first year and in his second year during the festival times, probably Passover. And then, of course, it was Jerusalem that was the destination for the latter part of his third year of ministry and where he was arrested tried and crucified. But the bulk of Jesus' ministry took place in Galilee. This morning I want us to look at Jesus' journey across the Sea of Galilee as he lands on the southeastern shore near the region of the Gerasenes, also called the Gadarenes, in the region of the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis was a group of ten cities, Avila, I'm not sure I pronounced these right, Damascus, Dion, Geraza, Gadara, Hippos, Pella, Philadelphia, Raphaena, and Scythopolis. Close enough, I hope. So those ten cities formed a Hellenistic or Greco-Roman confederation or league located south of the Sea of Galilee. And Gadara would be the region today that we know as Jordan. I want to read all three accounts of this event from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's versions. And keep in mind that Matthew was an eyewitness as a disciple. Mark and Luke's accounts have been relayed to them by Peter and Paul. Peter was an eyewitness, and Paul knew of this story perhaps from Peter. Luke may have also known of this from Peter, not sure. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the common thread that brings it all together. In each account, the gospel writer shares that in that voyage across the sea, a great storm arose while Jesus was asleep in the boat. In each account, the fear-stricken disciples awaken him, crying out, Lord, save us, for we are perishing. In each account, Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea, and it becomes calm. He also rebukes the disciples for their little faith. And then they arrive on the other side. Let's begin with the story from that point in Matthew's account, chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us? before the time. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, 
go. I don't know if he yelled it or if he just said go. He had the authority to do it either way. And they came out and they went into the swine and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything including what had happened to the demoniac. In Matthew, it's demoniacs, plural, two of them. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Now Mark's gospel expands the details a bit as he records the event this way in Mark 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus, and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Finally, Luke records the event this way in Luke 8, 26 through 25, or 35. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was living not in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, 
He cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city, what great things Jesus had done for him. The three accounts, there's so much <laughs> to unpack here. What stands out to you in this story? Matthew says there are two demon-possessed men come out, that come out of the tombs and meet Jesus. Mark and Luke refer to one man. Whether there are one or two, it's clear that they were possessed by demons and were not in their right minds. Mark and Luke describe how the one man was so violent that the people of the region tried to secure him in chains, but he was strong enough that he had torn off the chains each time. No one was able to subdue him any longer. He was screaming night and day from the tombs and in such torment himself that he cut himself and gashed himself with stones. Luke says that he had not been able to clothe himself for a long time. He was not living in a house, but in the rocks on the hillside in the tombs. When Jesus spoke to the demon and asked him his name, he replied, Legion, for many demons had entered him. The demons immediately recognized the Son of God, and they were afraid that he would drive them out of the man and each of their responses in the three versions is very interesting. In Matthew's account, the demon says, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They know that torment is coming for them, and Jesus has the authority to bring it. In Mark's account, he replies, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. And he implores Jesus not to send them out of the country. 
In Luke's gospel, he says, What business do we have each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And he was imploring Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss. Not only do they recognize that Jesus, recognize Jesus, but they know that he has the power not only to cast them out of the man, but to cast them out of the country, to cast them into hell itself. Even the demons don't want to be in hell. <laughs> These tormentors fear becoming the tormented. This legion of demons was negotiating for a better outcome than they knew they deserved and had coming. These Deemsters Union, if you will, <laughs> spokesperson is pleading with the Son of God not to send them to the abyss. It's interesting that he used the word legion. It was a reference to the, if it was a ref reference to the known population of a Roman legion of soldiers, then it would correlate to about 6,000 troops. Jesus used the word legion in Matthew 26:53 when he rebuked Peter for cutting the, off the ear of the slave of the high priest when he was being arrested. He said, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? That would be a total of more than 72,000 angels. In Mark's account, we know that there were about 2,000 swine that rushed down the steep bank and drowned into the sea or lake. So it makes sense that there were thousands of demons possessed in this man. I cannot imagine the horror and torment that they must have caused him. And the fear that their presence in him must have caused the community as well. Well, there were no signs of a struggle. There was no great battle with these demons. Jesus simply said, go. In Matthew's account, and they left the man. In Mark and Luke's account, the demons implored of Jesus to allow them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. They had no choice but to do whatever the Son of God commanded them. The herdsmen immediately ran into the city and the countryside to tell what had happened to their 2,000 pigs and to the man who had terrorized the countryside because of the demons. When the people came out to see for themselves, they found the man that had been possessed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What a beautiful picture. Jesus had compassion on this man. He delivered him of the demons. Then he clothed him and no doubt fed him and ministered <laughs> peace to his spirit. I would love to have heard their conversation there on the, near the beach. <clears throat> Jesus had restored him to mental, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual health. We can only imagine what that man must have felt in that moment. The release, the peace, the clean. <laughs> imagine you were a member of this community and were told of this event, and you ran immediately to see for yourself what had happened. Was well, you're coming upon the scene to one side, 
You see carcasses of swine floating in the sea and washing up on the shore. And then you turn and you see Jesus as a disciples gathered around this man whom no one, no one had been able to, to subdue. Unchained, at peace, clothed, and in his right mind. Instead of praising God for this incredible miracle, for the release of this man who had been captive to Satan's forces for so long, they were gripped with fear of what they did not understand. And they implored Jesus, please leave. Please leave. We don't want any more trouble. For some, perhaps, they valued the 2,000 pigs more than the life of the man that was saved. And it was anger on their part at the loss of revenue that drove their desire for Jesus to leave them. Regardless of their motivation, the Scripture says all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked Him to leave them, all of them. So Jesus got in the boat and He prepared to leave. What happens next is quite remarkable. The man whom Jesus healed implored that he might go with him. This man was pleading to go with the master who had saved him, who had released him from this bondage. Normally, I would think Jesus would welcome another follower to come with him. I imagine he wanted to spend time with this man. But according to Mark's account, he said, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. And in Luke's account, he said, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Mark concluded it this way, And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This is a whole region on the right side of the Sea of Galilee, predominantly, possibly all Gentiles. What message can we draw from this? When people are confronted with Jesus Christ, they either want Him to go away or they want to follow after Him. The Gospel has many stories of people who either passionately loved Him or they vehemently hated Him. Jesus demands decision. The living Word, the Lord, Jesus, pierces the soul and He lays men's hearts bare. His voice calls to the heart that will hear, Come, follow me. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Whom today will you serve? Jesus calls us to follow Him. His will for some is to follow His leading into different parts of the world, into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. But for some, His call is to follow in the place where He found us, where He saved us. For some believers, the greatest impact that they can have is among the people who've known them their whole lives. Our friends, our family, the community which knew us as sinners. So it was for this man. Jesus knew that he could have the most impact for the kingdom in allaying the fears of this people 
in this region who knew him as the demoniac, but now see him restored at peace, clothed and in his right mind. Where is Jesus calling each of us to be authentic, restored, and in our right minds, witnesses for him to the kingdom? I want to share one other interesting point that I saw regarding this area of the Decapolis. In the third year of Jesus' ministry, he comes back to this region. In Matthew 15 and Mark 7, 31 through 8, 9, Jesus returns to the Decapolis area and he heals a deaf man who also had difficulty speaking. And he feeds 4,000 people who've come out to see and hear him. This is the region where all of them ask him to leave. One year later, 4,000 people show up to hear him. What happened? He took seven loaves of bread, he gave thanks and broke them all along with a few small fish and began distributing through the disciples to the people. The scripture says, and they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. This is the same region that a year earlier, all the people implored him, begged him to leave. What's changed? In the months that followed their pleas for him to leave, there was a man traveling throughout the Decapolis region, speaking boldly of the Son of Man, Jesus of Nazareth. Who had cast out a legion of demons, restored his life and made him whole. Could it have been the testimony of this man whose life was changed that warmed the hearts of thousands who once feared? They feared Jesus. They feared to come. But the year later, they came, they ate, and they were satisfied, filled by the Messiah. This man had been faithful to do what Jesus had told him to do. A lot to think about. I'd like to close this morning with a perspective, <coughs> hypothetical, but powerful, I think, of what the man whom Jesus delivered may have experienced. It was written in 2009 by John Bloom, a staff writer with DesiringGod.org. It goes like this. For the first time in a long time, he was in full of control of his mind. He could think. No rage, no fear, no torment. Peace like the quiet sea. He actually wanted to keep his clothes on. The most strangely wonderful thing of all, though, was his sense of cleanness. His soul was clean. The tomb man from Gadara looked up at Jesus again. His lucid mind mulled over the words, Son of the Most High God. Who would have thought that the Son of God looked so much like other Jewish men? 
He wasn't very big. The tomb man had beaten off much larger men in his demonic rage. It was, in fact, his demons that had recognized Jesus. Son of God was their term. What was it that they saw? In all his tormented years, he had never felt anything like the terror that coursed through his body when he saw Jesus get out of the boat. It was the terror of the damned. He had thought he'd been living in hell, but now he knew better. And now with the demons gone, nothing he had ever experienced came close to the safety and peace that he felt simply being near Jesus. He'd only known Jesus for a few hours, but had already determined to be Jesus' disciple for the rest of his life. Life with him would be heaven on earth. The man looked out on the Tiberias Sea and pig carcasses were washing ashore and drifting out to sea. He shivered at the disturbing memory. He felt Jesus' reassuring hand on his shoulder. A noise made them all turn back toward the hill. A small crowd of people was approaching with the pig herdsman leading the way. You could hear alarm in their voices. A few men went on to survey the dead floating herd, but the rest stopped some 20 feet away. Everyone strained for a look at the tomb man. He recognized them all. He was used to seeing fear in their eyes, but it was different this time. As a herdsman recounted what happened, they kept looking at him and then looking to Jesus. It was Jesus they were afraid of. The crowd's murmuring crescendoed into anxious pleas. Please leave. We don't want any more trouble here. Please go. Some were already hurrying back to the city. For years, the tomb man, this one-man barracks of thousands of demons, had terrorized them. And now here was someone even more powerful. Whatever rich witchcraft Jesus possessed, they wanted it far away from them. The tomb man felt confusion, and he felt a sense of grief. They didn't understand. Jesus wasn't anything like the demons. Jesus' power was clean. Jesus' power was holy. Jesus was potently kind. They were jumping to the wrong conclusions. If they would just listen to what he had to say. <clears throat> but Jesus motioned Peter to ready the boat. He was leaving. The man jumped up and said to him, Sir, please may I go with you. I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus looked hard at him without speaking. Then he put his reassuring hand on the man's shoulder again and said, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. The words, return to your home, must have made this man's heart sink. Home for him was not a warm place of sentimental memories. Home was a place of memories so dark and pain-filled that he likely just wanted to escape them and never go back. But Jesus told him to go back. It was a hard call to return to the place where he had known demons 
chains, tombs, self-mutilation, public humiliation, abuse, <coughs> loneliness, and suicidal torment. But it was there that the grace of God in his life would shine the brightest. Sometimes to follow Jesus means being sent back to a place where we once knew desolation and indescribable pain. The thought of returning there conjures up fears of our old demons and the people who knew us as we were back then. What Jesus wants us to know is that His salvation and His protection extend to those old horrible haunts. If He can break the death grip Satan once had on us and set us free, then He can redeem the places of our former slavery and make them showcases of God's omnipotent grace. Do not be afraid. The Good Shepherd will walk with you and protect you on the darkest road. As the psalmist wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Declare how much God done, has done for you. You're being sent because there are other tomb people to free. Let's pray. Lord, we once were tomb people. Darkened in our minds. Lost in our sin. Alone and without God in the world. By your great mercy, you sent your Son, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Lord Jesus, thank You for enduring the cross for us. Thank You for walking in our shoes, being tempted in every way that we are, and yet without sin. Thank You, Lord, for your, the power of Your Word that sets the captive free. I pray that you would touch those areas of our lives where we still perhaps have shadows or dark areas that we crawl back to. Pray that your light would shine in us in such a way that we would be those beacons set on a hill, not put under a basket. For there are so many more tomb people around us that need you. Lord, redeem us. Redeem the time in us. Thank you for your great mercy and love. We glorify you, Lord Jesus, Son of God Most High. In your name, amen.